Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. And today uh, we picked the movie. Well, I picked the movie. Uh, it's a film that I saw a long time ago, but I just don't remember much about it now that I've seen it again. Uh, it's called Night of the Creeps, made in 1986. And uh, it was really made as a send-up to sci-fi and horror B-movies of the bygone era. And uh, that's exactly what it is. Wouldn't you agree, Craig? Yeah, and that's really more your expertise. I feel like you uh, are more a fan of those movies than I am. But um, you definitely, or I at least, definitely caught a lot of references to those old uh, movies. And so um, even I, who am not uh, a big big huge fan of those films caught some of those things <laughs> so whereas like a lot of horror comedy today looks back on more recent horror and makes fun of it uh this looks back on like the horror of the 50s and stuff so i guess you felt a little out of your element watching this <laughs> a little bit you know i don't know you know, the funny thing is i thought that i had seen this movie before but um, I was thinking of Night of the Comet, <laughs> which wow. is a totally different <laughs> movie. And uh, yeah, I thought I had seen it. And then I, I popped it in and started watching and realized that this was my first time having ever seen this movie. So uh, I, I may not be <laughs> as knowledgeable about this. Usually the movies that we've, we've talked about, I've usually seen two or three times. Well, now the writer-director of this movie, Fred Decker, uh, you must be a big fan of his. He did The Monster Squad. Oh, I wondered. That's really funny because there it seemed like there were a couple lines and I won't even be able to – no, I know there was one specifically. It's basically a zombie movie and there's one point where the cop says – Corpses that have been dead for 27 years do not get up and go for a walk by themselves. Which was almost identical to a line in the Monster Squad where – the cop dad says the exact same thing about the mummy. Um, and so I, I didn't realize that uh, there was that connection, but it makes sense because there are some pretty striking similarities. Well, the, the movie was obviously written, um, and intentionally so by the director, to just, he he basically tried to compress every single horror or sci-fi B-movie cliche he could think of into this movie. So it starts out, in the 1950s, and it's even in black and white. In fact, he wanted to do the whole movie in black and white. Uh, I think it works better this way, where like the past is black and white, and then we come up to 1986. Right. <laughs> a lot of things kind of happen at once. Um, we see a sorority house, and some girls in there who are talking about going out on their dates, uh, and then a girl and a guy go out uh, driving, basically parking on the point above the city like they're going to make out, when over the uh, stereo of the car over the car radio uh, comes an announcement that there's a kill an escaped maniac on right. the loose <laughs> from the local <laughs> mental asylum <laughs> oh and even before this um, before we even get to earth we're up in space yeah uh, oh man that's so funny <laughs> that opening i again i had no idea what to expect and it opens up in like this spaceship you know it looks like uh, a hallway straight off of the alien set or something but then mm -hmm. you've got these little naked aliens running around clearly little people in like rubber suits uh running around and it's like one of them is holding some kind of like 
canister or something and and the other ones are chasing him and um then the one with the canister like launches the canister off into space and and then that's when we uh jump into the 1959 uh, uh flashback or whatever and um what's funny is you know i the all i knew about the movie was the the very brief synopsis that I read on IMDb, which is like a, a, a college prank goes wrong and people turn into zombies or, or something like that. So I didn't really have any idea what was going on. And when it jumped into that um, 1959 uh, flashback, I was thinking, oh, okay, this is probably, you know, a movie within a movie. We're probably seeing, you know, something that our main character is going to be watching it, a drive-in or something. And and then it went on for like 10 minutes or so. And I'm like, wait, maybe <laughs> I should be paying closer attention. Maybe this is actually important. Uh, and, and as it turns out, it, it, it was quasi-important, I guess. I mean, it, it's, it's connected to the main plot. Yeah, it kind of sets up the whole deal. Uh, they go out parking. This thing comes across the radio. Uh, they're driving back. Oh, and, and, and she says something about wishing on the brightest star. And pretty soon, this really bright, looks like a shooting star, comes across the, the, uh, the sky, which, of course, is whatever was in this canister from the spaceship. Right. And it shoots way across them as a giant fireball and hits the ground in the forest behind them and so they decide to drive over and check it out i think he says something like uh well that's about as bright a star as i I can find yeah (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile on the radio it keeps busting in with and now another news update about the escaped maniac and um uh, it it gives an address and the girl uh in the car i think her name was pam or something looks up and they're parked right underneath the street sign where it says the maniac is going to be but uh the boyfriend has uh gone off to check out the comet uh and so then we we see you know these feet uh walking towards her it's apparently the escaped maniac i I mean it's it's so many things you know it's in the first 10 minutes you've got aliens you've got an escaped maniac you've got all (laughs) i had no idea what was going on and i kind of felt that way (laughs) through the whole throughout (laughs) <laughs> a little yeah. bit of grease in there. Right. It, it felt like the blob too when he's going to the crater. As it's right. in the, and and there's a canister there, and uh, something leaps up. We, we're not really clear what's happening to him, but then uh, as it turns out, the girl is getting. Uh, there, there's this great long shot of the girl sitting in the car, looking everywhere but where she should be looking, which is behind right. her. <laughs> as this guy very easily and slowly walks up behind her, raises the axe and swings it, and just as he's about to connect with her neck, we jump right back into uh, present day 1986, the same university. So they were parked just in the area of a university called Corman University, which is uh, one of many references in this film. Uh, blatant references to horror movie right. or sci-fi B movie directors. It, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I missed that. I because I, I, I kept uh, looking for um, what Corman is that what you said Corman University. Corman, yeah, yeah. Corman I, I, I kept looking for that because it's it's Roger Corman, right? Who did all those yes. old uh, B movies? I was looking mm-hmm. for those references because I I caught a couple of them, but I missed that one. It makes perfect sense. And, and it's funny, you know, the tone of the movie. I guess I mean. You, You'd have to call it horror for what it is, but there's there's definitely comedy too. Uh, 
when uh, the the two guy the two kids Pam and Johnny or whatever are, are parking, and then he goes off to find the comet. She's calling calling to him like, um, "Please come back now! Please come back now!" And she says something like, "Johnny, can we go back to the point now?" You <laughs> just, just goofball stuff and, and not knowing what I was getting into. I mean, even there in the first 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, all right. I, I feel like I know where this is going. <laughs> Did you like, you know, I'm thinking back to the spaceship, um, how the aliens were running around in the spaceship and they were talking to each other in some alien language and it was subtitled, right. but it was also subtitled in that alien language. Yeah. So you couldn't read it anyway. <laughs> Hilarious. Like, what was that all about? Yeah, I, 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 I loved it. And, you know, the aliens were so goofy looking like they were in these, I guess, just like rubber prosthetic suits, like their faces <laughs> didn't move or anything. Like, yeah. Even when they're talking, their mouths aren't moving very much. It was it's pretty funny stuff. And, yeah, it, it certainly calls back to those uh, B movies of the, the 50s and, and beyond. Well, there's never a dull moment, though, right? I mean, it really kind of takes off and keeps moving. I, I don't think that we get a lot of... Uh, deep conversation between any of the characters or any really strong uh, deep character development no uh, it all it all moves along at a pretty steady clip like those b movies used to do right you know, right where it's pledge week uh, at corman university right, and we're back right. at the same sorority house lambda Del- lambda delta iota i think it was i don't know but we're, we're in oh, 1986 which would have been present day for for them and we have this moment where we have our two main characters jc who we later learn is james carpenter hooper (laughs) oh gosh see how man i've only seen the movie once i didn't catch all these things i'm glad you caught them well the detective at one point actually sits him down and he goes so jc james carpenter cooper and christopher (laughs) romero (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious yeah you've got these two guys when it opens up it's pledge week and uh, these two kind of geekier guys i guess uh jc and chris chris i recognized right away and it took me forever um and i finally had to cheat and just get on my phone and look on imdb um but uh, the actor who plays chris is named uh, jason lively who is the brother of robin lively who was a really you know pretty hot actress of uh, the 80s um she was in teen witch which i'm not ashamed to admit was one of our favorites me and my sister uh when i was a kid and uh blake lively is uh, also his half sister and she's hot right now isn't she who is she she's she's the one that's married to ryan reynolds is that right I think. oh you you might be right yeah and i think she's in the shallows uh right now stars in the shallows they come from this uh i guess pretty famous uh family he was um rusty from uh european vacation which is what i recognized him from um but it, you, you know we we meet these two guys these geeky guys and they're kind of i guess at rush week or whatever and um right away chris sees this girl uh, and I feel like there's this you know cheesy music cue like here's the hot angel girl and uh, her name is Cynthia um, and when she gets fully introduced her full name is Cynthia Cronenberg uh, which is a, another great reference there yeah and, and we were just talking last week in the Lost Boys of the cheesy 80s moment where the guy sees the girl through right. a crowd across and like the whole world stops and the music cuts in and this was like like 
every single one of those like distilled. Yeah. <laughs> it couldn't have been more overdone and over the top. Right. Uh, and and hilarious, I thought. And it at first you watch the movie and you wonder if this is unintentionally hilarious, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's just so much of it. Yeah. And again, uh, admittedly the director said I wrote every cliche I could think of into here, so they were clearly playing it way up like that. Right. And um and JC is in crutches, so he has, you know, it's never really explained what, but obviously some something from childhood right. um, where he is not able to walk. So he knows he's never going to be the guy who can get the girl. At least that's what he says. Right. Um, that might be a little un-PC to say now. Sure. And not even really ever true. But anyway, that's what he says. And then uh, so he decides he's going to be the one to help Chris get the girl. Yeah, and uh, so he, you know, Chris sees this girl, Cynthia, and she is beautiful. I, 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 I don't know this actress. You know, she she looked somewhat familiar. I didn't really look her up, Jill Whitlow, um, but this beautiful uh, brunette girl and JC kind of goes over to play wingman uh, with her and and gets her name and and kind of says, you know, look at that good looking guy over there, and um, things don't really amp up any more than that um, at that point, but, you know, there's a, a connection established at least, and of course then later on um, they all come back together. Yeah, they follow her uh, into what's a... Now we're like at a fraternity house, I guess. Right. And uh, he meets up with her thanks to the prodding, basically, of JC, who kind of... He, JC's this guy, you know, he's the same guy that are in all these movies where he's like the sidekick to the main character who has all these like witty sayings and who's the one who goads and prods the who kind of has the balls right you know whereas the main character doesn't and all of his dialogue is really really pretty witty and cool and fresh even though he's kind of a dork and it's a shame because i feel like the acting is so bad i mean did you feel that way yeah i'm I did, but or was the, it the writing? <laughs> no, I, I have to say, you know, I, I was wondering when I would have the opportunity to say this. I enjoyed this movie; it was a fun ride to watch. But and now that you say that the writer wanted to throw in absolutely every cliche that he could, that kind of makes more sense. But I just kind of felt like the writing was just kind of all over the place. I, I, you know, I was like, there were several times when I thought, wait a minute, what? What is happening? I don't even understand what is happening. Uh, I even had to uh, rewind uh, on a couple occasions to make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, And I I didn't miss much. It's just uh, they were kind of he, I guess, Decker was kind of playing it fast and loose um, with the scripting. But um, I mean, it was it was still a fun ride. I I mean, it does go all over the place because it becomes it becomes this again this this cheesy which is maybe a little more in place in like the 80s like revenge of the nerds where this guy realizes that to get the girl he's probably going to have to join a fraternity right because she's hanging out with the frat guys and seems to be involved with one of them um and his name was brad brad (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and i recognize that guy too i don't i don't have his uh name written down but um he was from mama's family he was the young the young kind of stud from mama's family which i thought was pretty funny you're right. <laughs> Alan Kayser. <laughs> nice. 
Alan Kayser. Yeah, Brad. And Brad is the head of the betas. I guess they're the, you know, the hot fraternity on campus. And um, that's who Cynthia, they call her Cindy sometimes, Cynthia or Cindy. That's that's her boyfriend. But he's your typical, stereotypical, kind of jerky frat guy. Um, And what happens, I guess, is when... JC and Chris decide that they need to join the fraternity so that Chris can impress Cynthia. Um, they get up, they they meet with the fraternity brothers, and uh, the frat guys tell them, "Well, oh yeah, you know, we'd we'd be happy to let you pledge, but you just have to do something to prove yourselves first. Uh, and and Chris says. Uh, we don't have to have sex with a farm animal, do we? <laughs> and Brad's like, oh, no, um, here's what you got to do. And and I, if I remember correctly, we don't really hear what they're challenged to do. But Correct. what it turns out to be is they have told uh, Chris and JC they need to go steal a corpse um, from the on-campus morgue, I guess, uh, <laughs> and uh, dump it the on school. the lawn of the rival fraternity. Um, of course, you know, once JC and Chris leave to go set out on their mission, um, the frat guys, you know, elbow each other, ha ha, hearty har. We're never going to really let these guys in. Um, but that's kind of what kicks everything into motion is this challenge. That's right. And so they go, and uh, and we get this this little bit which. <laughs> It is also totally corny of the uh the lab worker I guess in this specific locked security locked room area of the morgue who's forgotten the last digit of his passcode so I guess he sticks his his card and he starts punching in a code but doesn't get all the way through it and then goes to the payphone around the corner to call somebody and is like um yeah it's like in my notebook no, not the red one, the blue one. <laughs> just like just on the phone forever trying to get this last number while these guys walk down and then JC just like sees this this door in on the hallway and just absent-mindedly just punches one of the buttons for fun and it happens apparently to be the last right, passcode. Right. The door opens like, "Whoa, check it out. Let's go inside." <laughs> yeah, and they go in and it's totally, you know, like th- I don't even know what you would call it, like the scientist's room from one of those old B-movies, just lots of flashing lights, and um, <laughs> and then there's this big, like, cryo chamber uh, with a guy standing in there. We, the viewers, uh, I think, can figure out pretty quickly that the guy that's there in the cryo chamber is Johnny, the guy from the flashback from from the 1950s, um, and he's frozen in there. And all that we really saw that happened to him was, you know, he found that canister, and then some kind of, like, slug-like creature jumped into his mouth. Um, and that's all we saw. But, um, you know, they kind of, uh, JC and, and Chris kind of debate, you know, what should we do, what should we do, but they eventually, I think JC just you know, pushes a dis a big a great big button, a great big red button that says disengage or something like that. Um, <laughs> and he pushes it, and the cryo chamber opens up, and uh, they they grab the body, and they start pulling it out, and it, it, like I don't know what they were thinking, how they were going to get this body out of there without anybody noticing, but as it turns out, it doesn't really matter because um, the body twitches, it moves, uh, and it freaks them out, and and they run away. 
they then, of course, have no idea what happens after they're gone. Yeah, and at that point, the scientist guy, you know, trips over them. He's like, hey, what? It, uh... And he's, this guy's David Pamer. I mean, he's somebody you probably don't know his name, but you've seen him in, like, oh, every yeah. other movie. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> he's on TV a ton. He's in a lot of big movies. Um, he's an Amistad and Quiz Show and Payback oh, wow. and Drag Me to Hell and, and guested on Law and Order. And, I mean... Almost every TV series he's he's had a part in somewhere. Oh yeah, lots of lots of good cameos uh, in the movie. Then of course the slug thing pops out of this corpse, this somewhat animated corpse, and jumps into his mouth, and that's how this uh, entity, which is a bunch of slugs, it's like alien slugs that right. are reanimating, basically killing their hosts or getting into the brain of their hosts, and then. Um, killing them, but then keeping them alive enough that they can be zombies and, and controlled by the slug. Yeah, and that was one of the funny things that I just I, I really couldn't figure out. Like, you never really un- I never really understood what the purpose of these things were. I mean, like, there's the there are these slugs um, that I guess you know go into the host, the human being, and like intubate in their brain, and then. After a while, they they bust out, um, and and it's more slugs, and they scurry off all over, whatever. Um, but I I could I, I I never really understood what the end game was. Like, yeah, that's true. Like, are, I I guess they just wanted to make more slugs. <laughs> like the uh, <laughs> and, and when the people are are zombies controlled by these slugs or whatever, just the host for these slugs, like. They didn't even seem particularly malicious or anything. Like, they just kind of walked around. Like, their only purpose was to kind of walk around and maybe shoot another slug out of their mouth into somebody else's mouth. Or um, eventually what happens to them is is their head, like, busts open and a bunch of slugs come out. Um, but, <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's... <laughs> it, it, I mean, it just kind of seemed... Like a, a coincidence that people happened to turn into zombies for a while, and while the slugs were in there, and then the slugs burst out, and then they weren't anymore. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It was weird. It's hard It's hard to imagine how precious these creatures are to these alien beings that they had to save them and, and jettison them out of their ship. Like, yeah, I have no idea. The, <laughs> and so then what happens is this reanimated corpse um, goes... No, the cops called at that point, right? Yeah, it's the yeah, cop. The detective. And, and his name um, is uh, Detective uh, Cameron, I think, maybe, something like that. Yes. Um, or Ray. His first name's Ray. Um, and again, being the first time I'd seen the movie, it took me a while to put two and two together because uh, he gets involved in this investigation with the missing body and stuff, but then he's also having like weird flashbacks to that night in the 50s. And it took me a second to put together when the two, when the couple in the 50s had gone parking, a cop had come over to the car to break them up. Um, but when the cop recognized the girl, he was like, oh, Pam, it's you. And she was like, oh, hi, Ray, what's up? Um, and as it turns out, uh, this cop, uh, and I again, another, the actor's name is Tom Atkins, um, a, a, a guy that I immediately recognized, but I couldn't even really tell you what from. It's like he always plays this hard-nosed cop character. 
it turns out that he was the cop in the flashback and that he had been uh, the one who had, you know, found the axe murderer who had killed Pam. He had been in love with her. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's just such a, a – it's so convoluted that it's, it's really difficult to follow. I feel like if I had – if if I went back and watched it again, I would catch a lot more. Um, but anyway, so now he is on this case, and it's for whatever reason reminding him of uh, uh, what had happened to him back in the fifties. Yeah, he's your stereotypical. I'm haunted by this one thing that happened to me, and he drinks and he smokes. And, right. Uh, he there's one point where he's pouring over old photos of the crime scene from the fifties. Yeah. Stuff. Like, <laughs> I mean, again, every cliche you can imagine. Well, and the first time that we're introduced to him is, I guess, in a dream sequence. Like, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> like, uh, the first time you see him, he's sitting on a beach in a white suit, uh, and all these gorgeous, you know bikini clad girls are like bringing him drinks and stuff and then this blonde comes up out of the water it it took me several minutes to realize that that blonde that comes up out of the water um, was Pam the girl that had gotten killed and um, in the 50s and as it turns out you know that had been his first true love and he had witnessed her demise and so um, he's being haunted by those past events and now he's uh, thrown into this new crisis well, it's impossible to recognize her, too, because uh, that is the 80s uh, teased-up hair, Pam, not right. the 1950s, like, total, you know, short crop. Like, like she didn't even look like the same girl because right. <laughs> her makeup and everything was totally modern. <laughs> but, yeah, oh, he's called out because, um, there, of course, there's a report of a body at the lab, and it's the body of the lab guy who had stumbled across this, this happening. And... Uh, of course, they know that there's another body that's supposed to be there that's not. And right. That's this corpse of what was the guy's name again from the fifty? Johnny. Oh, John. Johnny. Johnny. Yeah, um, and, and that's where around. the line comes. You know that that uh, the body is missing, and he says, "Guys who've been dead for twenty seven years don't just get up and walk away on their own." And if, immediately, and I saw it coming a mile away. Immediately, then we cut to these, you know, corpse feet, you know, kind of <laughs> shuffling along the grass outside. Um, and so uh, Johnny's uh, corpse is now uh, on the loose, and. Um, Cindy, uh, go. We we jump to Cindy, and she's back at her sorority, where apparently she's the president of her sorority or whatever, and and seemingly super randomly as soon as she walks in the door um, one of the sorority (laughs) sisters says oh by the way I was wondering if I could store all these human brains in the basement (laughs) 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 we we have to dissect them later and she's like okay I guess I just don't want them up here and I'm like that is so random of course (laughs) it comes back uh, towards the end of the movie (laughs) but she she goes up to her room and she takes off her top of course so we get to get a flash of her boobs and um and people keep like the girls of course it's all you know very cheesy horror they keep hearing things outside or whatever and one girl hears something and it's just the cat and then, oh it's like a total cat scare it's right. like this actually has a cat scare where the cat is like at the door 
it's not like behind a bush. It's not like in a closet. It's like the door rattles, and she goes to open it, and the cat leaps up about six feet at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. so hilarious. Right, right. Oh, sorry. And then, uh, and then Cynthia is up in her bedroom, and she hears the same kind of tapping at her window, and she goes, and she opens one window, nothing there. She opens another window, nothing there. But then all of a sudden, um, popping up from the bottom of the window from the bottom of our screen is this corpse. And it just kind of looks at her eerily through the window. And this was the part that I had to rewind because I couldn't, it happened so fast that I couldn't tell what happened the first time. The second time when I rewound it, you see just, just, I, I swear, it's like a split second. You see the guy's head start to split open and then you see these slugs, you know, splatter down on the ground uh, all around him. And then it cuts immediately to the cop getting called. Um, and every time the cop gets called, he, like, picks up the phone and says, thrill me. <laughs> like, like, that's his catchphrase, <laughs> his catchphrase. Uh, throughout the whole movie. Um, and, and he's called over to the sorority house where now there's a body on the ground, like, right in front of the front door. And uh, when they pull the sheet back, it looks like the head is split straight down the middle, almost like with an axe. But then what confused me was they kept saying that there was a headless corpse out there. Yeah. And, and like they even show a headline like on a newspaper, like headless corpse found in front of sorority house or whatever. And it wasn't headless. Like, I, no. <laughs> it took me for, I was like, what is going on? I felt certain that I had missed something, um, but I didn't. I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if it was just weird editing. I don't know if something got changed and they had to go back and do reshoots. But I'm like, this is confusing to me because this corpse is not headless. It clearly has a head. Um, no, you're absolutely right. It is confusing. And and I think everything happens so quickly. And there's so many corpses to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. And 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 then of course you have these crossing storylines where the past you know you're trying your brain's trying to make these connections to why is this happening and and who's who that uh, and then the dream sequence and of course you figure that the cop is haunted by something and yeah it all it all it just comes at you too quickly really for you to be able to follow it as easily as you want to. Well, right. And like that when the cop gets there and is doing the investigating or whatever, Cynthia is there and like acting like she's all upset, like Brad's consoling her or whatever, but she doesn't say anything. Like (laughs) one would think that had some zombie guy come to your window and then their head had exploded. You might mention that when the cops came to investigate, but I guess apparently she was too distraught. I was totally confused uh, at that point as to what was going on. Well, and to pile on top of it, then, Detective Cameron, like, saunters through the house and out the back door, and he looks, and he stops, and he just stares at the back, which you don't even see what it is. No. That's that's the other messed up thing. You don't even see what it is that he's looking at, and somebody comes up from behind him, just some kid walks by, and he says, what's that? And Or the cop says something like what's that doing there or whatever and what's the kid that says, supposed to be yeah. yeah that's the house mother's cottage and he says oh like it has some significance right <laughs> and you're like what what is this and show me the cottage at least yeah <laughs> and then I, the- it's it's really thick you know the again 
I don't want to be too critical because I don't think that this movie was by any stretch of the imagination going for high art, but the the, the plot, the writing is so thin, uh, it does make it kind of hard to follow. Um, I guess, you know, after that, um, the the Brad confronts uh, Chris and JC on campus the next day and says, that wasn't cool, guys. You know, I know we put you up to that prank or whatever, but you were supposed to drop it on uh, the rival frat's lawn, not on not on that sorority or whatever. And um, JC kind of, you know, smart mouths him a little bit and says, we didn't do it. You know, we, we started to, but we chickened out. We didn't do it. Um, but at, at that point, Brad delivers my absolute favorite line in the whole movie, which is, a lot of girls were seriously freaked out last night because of you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, great stuff. A lot of girls stuff. were seriously freaked out last night because of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, Brad. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. And um, so then Brad, I guess, like, uh, trips JC like kicks his crutch out from underneath him which uh, Cynthia witnesses and like that's not cool like you know you don't push down the kid on crutches and so um, she's mad at him and she kind of starts um, not flirting necessarily but kind of buddying up with uh, JC and Chris like uh, like they're gonna be buds now and uh, it's 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 just wild you know um, and, and then <laughs> I don't even things happen, you know. It, it's jumpy, like it jumps from scene to scene. I, I don't even remember exactly um, what happens, but I feel like uh, when the cop is uh, investigating the dead bodies, um, the first ones, the ones in the lab, um, and and one of them is missing or or something. He he says something like, "What is this? A homicide or a bad B movie?" Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, with lines like that you have to you know kind of give it some leeway into all right you know they're they're going for the humor here they're not going for serious storytelling so just kind of roll with it oh yeah and then the cop through his investigations gets to these two guys for reasons that are a little hard to understand uh, except that uh i guess they were seen by the janitor the janitor <laughs> Uh, and that, that was almost embarrassing uh, scene there where he's interviewing them. And uh, he tells them, oh, well, you were I, this some pl- pledge uh, frat prank gone awry. And he delivers another one of those great lines, which is uh, JC says. Detective, I, I mean, we're not your fraternity types. I, I personally would rather have my brains invaded by creatures from space than pledge a fraternity. Right. <laughs> Hilarious. But, uh, and, but and what's it? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say what's so embarrassing about it is he uses, he says another line about how you guys ran screaming like a banshee. And this um, janitor, who is obviously Asian, uh-huh. is is playing the stereotypical goofy Asian guy with the broken English. And he goes, screaming like banshee. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> he keeps repeating it. Like it's the funniest <laughs> thing he's ever heard. It's funny. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then he keeps repeating it. The next night, when he's out there, uh, I guess, sweeping the halls again, going, screaming like banshee. Ha, 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 ha. And encounters, and this is the part I didn't understand because, oh, it's it's the same morgue, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. They take him to the university morgue. I guess the university morgue and the police use the same, they're the same place. It's the same morgue. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense when you really think about it. But anyway, the body of the uh, lab guy sits up 
and uh, goes out and then infects the uh, the janitor as well. Right, and that was a really funny scene too because there are people in like there's another scientist in the morgue and then there's like a security guard and this naked bloody corpse just gets up and walks by everybody and just nobody even notices like they're just oh, not yeah. paying the any cops, attention the, the, like, the cops like looking night. down See you tomorrow paper. yeah <laughs> <laughs> fantastic right and and so yeah it then infects the janitor which again none of this is really consequential at all like it doesn't really because all that happens once a person is infected is that they walk around like a zombie for a while until their head explodes and uh more slugs come out i guess um yes and so then um, Cynthia comes to uh, the guy's dorm, uh, JC and Chris's dorm, and uh, it's kind of cute. You know, Chris is like stammering when he answers uh, the door or whatever, but she asks if they can go for a walk. Um, JC realizes that he's kind of the third wheel, so he says, I got to go to the bathroom. Um, and he goes off to go to the bathroom. And then Cynthia. Um, tells Chris, you know, all this stuff that has happened. You know, I I saw the... Well, first of all, the cat comes back again, but it's a zombie cat. Um, <laughs> and, and, and again, just out of nowhere, like we're supposed to just think, oh, okay, zombie cat. Um, <clears throat> and so she tells Chris that, and she says, Chris, if I tell you something, you promise to believe me? Of course. I think it was a zombie, and its head exploded, and things like slugs or something spilled out. Okay. Maybe I should walk you home. <laughs> <laughs> And he does. He he walks her home, and at the door, they just have kind of like this sweet romantic mo- moment, and um, she's like, I also wanted to see if you wanted to go to the formal with me tomorrow night. <laughs> and he's like, okay. She's like, I promise no more weird stuff. Like, it's just... Like, she's willing, she's willing to put it all behind her now. Right. <laughs> so goofy, but funny. Yeah. In the meantime, JC is getting um, infected by slugs. Again, I thought this scene was super convoluted too. He's on the toilet and he's writing. He's actually scrawling. He's one of those guys apparently who scrawls on the wall of the toilet stall with a pencil. Because uh, <laughs> if you're gonna gra- if you're gonna you know do graffiti on a bathroom stall wall, you should definitely do it in pencil. So, <laughs> so it's easy. So it's easy, I guess, for the janitorial staff to clean off. I don't know. Hey, he's he, he's he's not a monster. No. <laughs> <laughs> So while he's sitting there, the janitor wanders in and he falls down and his head explodes and all these slugs are going around. And JC, I mean, I mean, keep in mind, nobody knows about these slugs. Right. Like nobody. So he's getting kind of freaked out. And to my mind, it's like a little overly freaked out. He hears a noise. There's no response. And then he hears like some movement. Like squishing. But yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to believe he's in mortal danger of anything, but that's kind of how he acts. Right. And there's a matchbook just sort of sitting on the floor. I don't... Did well, it fall no, from the janitor? I have no idea. Janitor? Well, he, 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 like, he cracks the door of his stall 
and he sees um, the janitor's head exploded, and he sees these slugs uh, squirming around or whatever. So then he's kind of freaked out. But you're right. Then, like, right underneath his stall door is this matchbook. I never saw him drop it. I, I have no idea why it was there. And I had no idea why he wanted it. I'm like, he's reaching for it. The slugs are racing around, scaring him. And I'm like, what? What is he gonna do with these matches? <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking, is, is he gonna like light the toilet light paper a, on fire? Is he gonna light like, try to start the fire alarm? I, I thought he was no trying to start the fire alarm. That's right. what I thought. And it turns out he lights it, and then he just like whole, burns the whole book up and holds it down on the floor, like I guess in hopes that a slug would run into it, which it does. Which it does, right? <laughs> and like erupts in sense. flames. Um, yes, and right. sort of dissolves. It, it, so now, obviously, we know that fire kills these things. Um, Which is so funny because fire kills pretty much everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not like a, a, a big special weakness, you know? <laughs> right. And, 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 so, and so, you know, he like, like you said before, um, he has some sort of disability, so he can't walk. So he, he propels himself off the toilet and is trying to um, get to the door and the slugs are all around him and you see one coming straight for him. Um, and then uh, it, it cuts away. And 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 then I feel like more stuff happens. I don't even remember yeah. at this point. I was getting so confused as to what was going on. Um, well, I, I think the that there's another. Well, it turns out the cop had been following Chris and Cynthia, and so he heard Cynthia's story. Um, and so he takes Chris back to the interrogation room or whatever. And I think it's out, his house. Is it his house? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, remember. I think it's his house. And just if it's not, it has a sofa and a desk, and it's all. (laughs) Maybe it was this house. I don't know. I was so lost. Um, But out of nowhere, for no reason, seemingly, the cop tells Chris, "Yeah, I had a first love too," and he tells this story about how he had found. Uh, the two people from the 50s, the couple from the 50s, he had found them all dead and chopped up or whatever, uh, or the girl at least was chopped up. Uh, and he said, you know, I found that maniac and I took my 12-gauge shotgun and I unloaded it right into his chest and then I wrapped him up in plastic and buried him in an empty lot. Um, but it's not an empty lot anymore. Uh, now it's where the the sorority house mother's cottages and chris even says something like look detective i don't mean to be rude or anything but other than just kind of wanting to confess to a murder is there a point to this story spanky that's exactly what i'm trying to figure out like what (laughs) (laughs) i have no idea what is going on I think, though, I think, honestly, I think that was a conscious effort on the writer's um, part to poke fun at it. He said, I'm going to write this goofy scene. I'm going to write it so cliche and goofy. And then I'm going to call attention to the yeah. fact that this is goofy and cliche. Because he's, he's even like, because um, I got like a test tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the next scene is this this uh, corpse of the axe murderer breaking through the the floorboards of the house mother's a cottage again another classic cliche of the old lady watching tv late at night with her cat the cat lady right uh, you know 
who suddenly uh, is one of the people to to meet her demise. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, I, I, normally I would just let that go, but it's kind of significant later. She actually has uh, a dog. We've already seen the zombie cat. Oh, that's um, right. So she's that's she's right. got a dog, <laughs> and this and which and, also gets zombified. And, right, which also gets zombified. And and again, you know, I totally get what you're saying when he said he wanted to throw in every little thing that he could, and I really felt like. I, I thought that that was the case as I was watching it, because not only is this corpse of the axe murderer now zombified, but this was also a 27-year-old corpse, so it's a skeleton zombie. So now yes. you've got a walking skeleton zombie walking around, and uh, again, the cops somehow immediately discover that this house mother has been murdered. Um, they immediately go on the investigation, and they immediately find the skeleton zombie. Um, and and you know the, our main cop uh, Ray is there, and he's got his 12 gauge, and he shoots. Uh, the the zombie again and the head explodes and the the slugs come out again um it's just so many random things all all thrown together <laughs> yes <laughs> but it's also formal night <laughs> right and, and so, so we, we're getting the the montage shots of everybody getting ready for the formal classic again, more girls showering guys putting on their tuxes and everything like that and of course brad right mm-hmm. is not going to the formal with her and all the guys are heading onto a bus i guess yeah like a party bus or whatever some distance away and they're all heading onto a party bus and one of the guys says hey where's brad have you seen him he's like no man he like totally got ditched so i think he's uh checking out on this one course brad is stumbling around drunk and he goes to the sorority house and he throws a bottle at it and he's mad and it looks like he's going to confront her but then he hears some rustling in the bushes right <laughs> and he bends down and he looks and the dog comes up the zombie dog comes up to him and he's again not looking at the dog but he says hey dog did you see that thing <laughs> <laughs> And that you're right it, it's hilarious and then we get to see the dog and it's clearly you know, some kind of puppet or animatronic, and um, it shoots one of the slugs out of its mouth into Brad's mouth, um, which is is funny. You know, sometimes these slugs just just get to people on their own, but just as often, you know, one of the zombies will shoot one out of their mouth. (laughs) Yeah, their head doesn't have to explode necessarily. (laughs) Hilarious. Um, And we we cut back to the party bus, and, um, you know, they're all partying or whatever, and the driver is watching the road and then zombie dog is in the road so he swerves to uh, avoid hitting zombie dog and they get in this terrible crash where presumably all the frat guys are dead and then zombie dog you know crawls into the the wreckage and um, you know obviously we we know that we're getting set up for all these frat guys to now be uh, zombies too which I think is where the title of the movie comes from Night of the Creeps Night of the Creeps right <laughs> It's the creeps uh, that end up breaking out, the creepy college frat guys right. who end up uh, – and, and so then it becomes your classic uh, in zombie invasion where they all end up at the sorority house. Um, the policeman has beat uh, – the cop has beat his way there. Um, Brad has gone there because he's taking her out to the formal. But before Chris, he gets there, Chris, you're zombie, about, right? Chris, the main Chris, guy. yeah, Chris. But before Chris gets there, zombie Brad um, rings the doorbell first, <laughs> and and uh, one of the girls opens it and says, 
oh, Cindy, it, it's Brad, <laughs> and just yeah. walks away. <laughs> and he's just standing there. So Cindy comes down, again, another one of these people who doesn't notice that there's something seriously wrong with Brad. Right, it's funny, just, it's like the actress, you know, the direction was clearly, make sure you don't look at him. Like, she's just kind of like <laughs> looking at his feet, or looking at her feet, and she kind of walks by and grabs his arm and, and sits him down uh, on, the, on the stoop, and is like, I'm really sorry, I was gonna call you. <laughs> <laughs> one thing we left out, um, during that montage, during the getting ready montage, Montage. Again, here is another thing that, again, just made no sense to me. Um, when when Chris is getting ready in his room, he finds a tape recorder that just has a note pasted to it or whatever that says, play me. And he plays it, and it's Zombie JC saying... Uh, some something infected me and it, it got in my brain and like the on the recording John, zombie jc explains what's going on like they get in your brain and they they intubate there and you can still walk around but uh, you can kill them with fire like it was the most cliched explanation you know like it just seemed like <laughs> it, it came out of nowhere. The, uh, JC is the only zombie who we have ever seen talk. He's the only one that we've ever seen, you know, maintain any of his humanity. Uh, it, it really doesn't make, you know, there's there's no continuity uh, at no. all with with the whole yeah. zombie infestation. But but anyway, so it, Chris knows that they have to have fire. Um, so he had gone. Uh, to the cop, and he explained everything to the cop, and I guess the cop just said, oh, okay. Um, And they went to, (laughs) um, I guess, uh, like, what, the weapons room or something for the cops? At first I thought it was, you know, the place where they hold all the evidence, like the evidence room, but it clearly wasn't. It's more like the armory. Right. And and there's a fantastic cameo here by Dick Miller. Yes. Ugh. Dick Miller. What a great guy. Best actor in the whole film. <laughs> probably, probably. Absolutely best actor in the whole film. Yeah, and I was, like, so hey. exci- I was so excited to see him pop up because we've talked about him before. Um, yeah. You know, I know him mostly from uh, Gremlins. He's the great, the excellent neighbor from Gremlins, but um, he, he, he popped in up in Chopping Mall, uh, Chopping when, we, Mall. when we talked yeah. about Chopping Mall, and you told me that he was a, a pretty regular cameo in, in whose movies? Roger Corman. Roger, Roger Corman. Corman used him in almost every movie. Yeah. So that was yeah. a lot of fun. And yeah, he was funny. I mean, he's only in it for maybe a minute. Um, but uh, <laughs> they get a flamethrower from him. Because apparently... I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently flamethrowers are a thing that exists and that cops have in their arsenal. I know. And he's like so nonchalant about it. He's like, uh, they're, they're just laughing and joking like they're the best of friends in the world. And he's like, oh, I need a flamethrower. He's like, whoa, heavy artillery this time. And he just walks in the back where the flamethrower is sitting there. Yeah. Right? Right in his path, like he had just put it aside from, you know, they'd only used it like 10 minutes earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Not much call for these, so all I need are the requisition papers. And at this point, his buddy friend says, "Um, there's going to be a problem with that. And he cocks a rifle and aims it at him. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess not so friendly anymore. I guess. um, Yeah. But they get so, they get the flamethrower anyway. Yeah, it, it and, works. Um, uh, while Cynthia is sitting there talking to Zombie Brad, um, Chris and the cop show up, and Chris says, "Get away from him" or something. And Cynthia looks over and sees that it's the zombie, and Chris 
uses the flamethrower and you know takes out zombie Brad, uh, and and that's that's really where the big showdown begins. Um, and I think uh, it was the movie's tagline. Um, the cop gets in the sorority house and all the sorority girls are in there and he says something like, I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and then it's zombie showdown uh, at the sorority house. And I thought that was a pretty good sequence. I don't know about you, but I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, sure. It, it, it's hard. Honestly, it's hard to get super engaged with a movie like this. Like, you're not on the edge of your seat necessarily hoping these characters are going to live. You, oh, no. I, at least I wasn't. It's like I honestly didn't care. No. I wasn't sure if the cop was going to make it or not. Um, he kind of gets beset by the zombies uh, after a while, but he goes down kind of in a blaze of glory. Right. Um, and, uh, and you think he's dead. And then the two of them, that, that's part what I thought was really kind of fun, having Cindy and Chris kind of buddying up, she with the flamethrower, right. he with his gun, kind of taking on the zombies. Yeah. A, a real nice sequence, I thought. Yeah. It was, I, it was entertaining. It was fun. I mean, it was a suitable ending. You know, that's what you want from this kind of movie. You want there to be, if you've made it all this way through, you at least want there to be a nice, you know, showdown at the end. And and it was. It was fun. Um, And and you're right. The two of them, Chris and Cindy, you know, Cindy with the flamethrower and Chris with the shotgun, and they're taking out zombies left and right. Of course, these are all frat guy zombies. Um, uh, and, And, you know, the makeup... And the effects are, are kind of cheesy and cornball, but it, it, it seems like that's what they were going for. Like, it didn't seem like they were really going for realism. You know, they, they were going for kind of B-movie, goofy, and Cindy and Chris at one point, like, they're... And again, these are, like, the slowest, most non-threatening zombies ever. Like, <laughs> like they're literally, like, a foot away from Cindy and Chris, and Cindy and Chris are, like, trying to get into, like, this little garden shed or something and uh, the zombies are are literally within reach like they could have easily just reached out and grabbed them but no you know they just kind of hang back and let them get in the the shed before they attack and uh, it's funny yeah and he i love that bit where he whips up the uh, the lawnmower yeah it's like go back that was so great. It was actually Shades of Dead Alive. Have you ever seen Dead Alive? A million years ago, but yes. Oh, okay, yeah. Made me think of that and the, the notorious lawnmower scene against right. all the zombies. Right. But, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I felt like this, this movie felt like it had been cut. And, and I mean, it felt like every time like an effect was happening, it was just a little too short. You right. know, mm-hmm. yeah, like like an axe would come at somebody's head, and maybe it would split just a little bit, but but just very unsatisfyingly so. You know, yeah, um, I, I do know like, what you mean. Like, it, I want to think that maybe if there was a DVD out there, that there un un there's an unrated version or you know non deleted scenes or something where you can see the actual effects that happened, because it seems like it's all set up for good effects. It's not one of those. Um, B-movie, we didn't have the money for special effects, so we're going to cut away before anything happens. That usually cuts away earlier. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas this felt like, oh, things are coming in contact, there's a little blood spurt, or there's a little bit of skin peel, or whatever, but then, mm, we cut away. 
Right, yeah, I, I felt the same way, and that I think that that is what led to some of my confusion. Like I said early on, when Cindy had seen, you know, the very first zombie, and just for the like a split second, you see its head split open, and maybe the start the slugs come out, but it really seemed like they had cut it like just a couple of seconds too short, so that I I didn't really know what was going on, and I had to rewind, and y- you kind of get that sense throughout. Well, there's a really bizarre moment too. I don't know if you caught it, but I actually freeze framed on it because. I was like, what? Where the bus, uh, you know, the dog's in the in the way and the bus driver's coming towards him. And there's the shot of the bus driver and he's reacting to the dog. And then there's the shot of the dog. And then there's like a half a second shot of the bus just as it's crashing. Mm-hmm. And it's of the bus driver. But the bus driver is clearly like a puppet or like a... A, a figure? I noticed that too, and like his, and his, his eyes bulge out. His eyes are glowing or something, or bulging out, right? <laughs> yeah, I did. What was that? I did notice. I have no idea. It was it funny. Was, I want to think there was something cut, like something had happened, but they cut the scene beforehand. But why even have that right. split-second shot in there in the first place? Yeah. It, it was, was just long enough to call attention to itself. It was so strange. Right. But you know what? Honestly, yeah, I, mean, I no. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and that's it. You know, you've got the zombie showdown, and you know they take out all these zombies or whatever. Um, and then you know, it, Chris and Cindy see all the slugs going down to the basement, and they're and Chris says, "Why would they all be going to the basement?" And it's like light bulb. I mean, they they literally could have done the light bulb effect above Cindy's head, and she's like, "Oh <laughs> crap!" Because <laughs> all, all those brains, brains, yeah. Um, so <laughs> Which, they figure they're all down there. So they uh, head down there. All of the slugs are congregating down there, but um, the cop is already down there, and he's like splashing gasoline around, and he basically just tells them to take off. Um, and he starts counting down. And again, it, it's so cheesy and weird. And I'm like, what is he talking? He, he just starts going like, twenty. 19 and like there's big long pauses between every number (laughs) what is happening but luckily chris i guess has more insight than i do and he figures out that the guy's counting down so chris and cindy run out chris continues the countdown uh for himself but it's the worst countdown in the world because there's such long pauses in there how can chris possibly continue it no (laughs) how would he know i don't know and then chris goes yeah thrill me (laughs) Thrill me, yeah. <laughs> and the house explodes. <laughs> yeah. And and then Chris and Cynthia, of course, have their lovely romantic moment at the end, and they kiss in front of the burning house. And in any normal movie, you would figure that that was going to be the end. But knowing what kind of movie this was, I knew that there would have to be some sort of tag. You know, we weren't going to get away with um, just the cutesy, uh, lovey-dovey ending. Yeah, yep. Uh, We see some more feet shuffling far away from the fire, and they pan up, and it turns out to be the charred detective who apparently got brain slugged um, after the fire, but was in a good enough shape to crawl out of it without anybody noticing and get way down the street toward the cemetery. Still smoking his cigarette. (laughs) Still. But he falls down and splatters uh, open, and the slugs slide out and go under a gate. And the camera slowly pans up on the gate, and it turns out it's the cemetery. And I thought that was where it was going to end, because I thought that was pretty clever. I thought that was pretty clever for setting up, you know, kind of a Night of the Living Dead thing. You know, these slugs can infect um, the corpses, and then it'll be, you know, Night of the Living Dead zombies or whatever. But that's not even it. We've still got more. Yes. (laughs) We have suddenly there's like a spotlight. 
that shines down on one of the graves and then moves around a little bit and goes away. And then you see a ship come into frame. The a big ship that we saw. spaceship. Like one that would have been noticed for miles away. Yeah. <laughs> slowly coming in the frame. Nobody else around. And it's shining lights down like it's searching. Like right. it's searching for the slugs that it lost. Now, granted, 20 years later. Right. <laughs> 30 years later. 30 years like, later. Like what? Where does that come from? <laughs> I don't know, but it was actually a pretty cool-looking spaceship. It was. The the effect was cool, and the idea was funny um, and interesting. I guess these slugs might have had tracking devices in them, so once they activated or once, like, too many of them, like, reproduced, that that, that spaceships could hone back in on where they were. Or maybe it just took them 30 years to finally get to where, you know, that spot on Earth, and they just happen to be there at the right time. Well, and again, I feel like it's just that idea of just kind of throwing everything in. Like, I thought that, you know, it was really clever. Have the slugs go into the graveyard. That's great. You know, they've got, you know, this whole harvest of bodies they can use. Um, But no, no, no. Not just that. Don't forget. We've also got aliens. (laughs) Don't forget the aliens from the beginning. We have to bookend this thing. (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. And that's it. Yeah, it is. You know, I think, honestly... The the acting is bad, but there are moments where you know the acting is supposed to be bad. Like right. the cop. The cop is supposed to be over-the-top cheesy. I felt like the boys were supposed to be the straight characters, mm-hmm. and they their acting wasn't really very convincing or the best, although it had its moments. Um, and the film itself is very well made. It as is. As far as I cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of really creative camera work, real nice swooping in. It's it's really surprising to me that, um, honestly, Fred Decker really hasn't done much else. I mean, he's written a lot. Um, he wrote the, apparently wrote the screenplay for the Predator movie that's in pre-production now. Oh, wow. And he, he wrote the story for House. And, uh, you know, of course, he did Monster Squad. He wrote and directed that. He wrote the story for Ricochet, uh, several Tales from the Crypt TV episodes. He did the screenplay for RoboCop 3. Oh, wow. But, I mean, almost everything I'm rattling off is, like, decades ago. Right. You know? Right. And the last thing he directed was RoboCop 3. Huh. It was Night of the Creeps, Monster Squad, an episode of Tales from the Crypt, and RoboCop 3. Wow. Clearly a talented guy. Clearly has a heart for this sort of material. He just hasn't put out a lot of it. Yeah, it's no. interesting. You know, I'm a huge fan uh, of the Monster Squad. We, you know, we've got to talk about that uh, at some point. Um, so I, I wish I, I almost wish I had known that going in. I, I think maybe I would have been more amped up uh, for this movie. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's different. You know, it's again. You know, we watch a lot of older movies and 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 talk about them. I, I just don't think that this kind of movie would fly anymore. Um, I, no. I just don't, I feel like uh, there's not really the market for it. I feel like those cheesy goofball, terrible sci-fi movies have kind of replaced this genre. And it's, it, I, I guess, in a way, it's kind of too bad because you've got guys like Fred Decker who really had kind of creative minds and you know interesting ideas, and, and and now you know we're just inundated with these thrown together you know Sharknado fours or and whatever, which you know have their place and that's fine, whatever. Uh, you know I'll catch those on Sci-Fi every once in a while, but they don't, they just don't seem to have the same kind of heart that this, as goofy and silly as this movie is, you can tell that there is heart behind it. Um, the people making it were, you know, they were they were doing something. They were trying to do something. Yeah, and whereas the Sharknado movies, um, 
you know, they they know they're being silly, but at least they're kind of original. And I think what this movie fails at is is really being terribly original. And I know that wasn't his point. His point was to throw in all this stuff, uh, every cliche he could think of. But at the end of the day, it really calls into question, is it really that great of an idea? I mean, yeah. do we really want to watch that, you know? I, I mean, I had fun watching the movie, but I don't really want to see other movies like it. Yeah, you know? I get what you mean. It's one thing to, I guess... Um, to throw cliches and things into a movie, lots of times people then try to subvert those. You know, they throw a cliche in, but that, like Cabin in the Woods, does a fantastic job of subverting. You know, all those cliches. Right. It, in my mind, it uses them a little more effectively um, than this movie does, which just throws them all in, and by that matter of that fact alone, thinks you're going to think it's funny uh, and goofy. You know, right, which right. it is, but maybe to me, at least in in maybe all the wrong reasons, you right. know, for all the wrong reasons. You know, again, we I feel like, you know, we've done so many episodes now, we keep repeating ourselves, but if I had seen this movie as a kid, as like an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, I think I would have thought it was pretty awesome. Um, mm. But uh, seeing it now as a, a nearly 40-year-old, uh, it's, it, it, it's a little more eye-roll uh, worthy, but uh, I don't know, a decent effort. You know, I didn't, I didn't, feel like I had wasted my time having watched it. It was all right. And and I was surprised that, you know, I, I Night of the Creeps, you know, I'd heard that title uh, a million times. I thought I had seen the movie watching it this time. I, I, I couldn't believe I hadn't seen it. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad that uh, you picked it. Yeah, and I think I'm on the same page with you. I, I feel like uh, for the for the completist um, and for the person who loves these movies, you're going to get a kick out of it. Yeah. Are you going to walk away from it wanting to watch it again or thinking it's the best movie ever? Nah. Probably not. Nah. I, I can't believe we've gotten. I feel like I have to say before we leave. Uh, I don't. I, I can't think of the guy's name who did it, but whoever the guy was who did Slither should yes. should be paying. <laughs> James be, Gunn. Yeah, he should be paying Fred Decker royalties um, <laughs> because the the slug monsters are virtually identical to the slugs uh, in this movie. Oh yeah, James. Gunn, well, James. It worked out a lot better for James Gunn. He's the guy uh, behind Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Now, so. Yeah. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find our Facebook page where you can leave a comment. Let us know what you liked about this episode and or suggest some other episodes uh, some other movies for us to watch yeah we love hearing from you guys until next week i'm todd and i'm craig with two guys in a chainsaw